Jeremiah, if it's in the New Testament, wherever it's at, we can do that. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So um, we do have, as I've been studying, specifically chapters 3 and 4, we've broken up the book of Amos. It's got nine chapters in it. It's a, it's a little bit shorter book, but we've tried to preach it just in about six weeks. And so as I've looked at chapters 3 and chapter 4, which is what our assignment is this morning, quite honestly, there's about a half a dozen messages I could preach in these three chapters. And so what I'm going to do actually is rather than trying to cover all of what's going on in chapter 3 and chapter 4, I'm really going to just focus on two verses, which I think, I believe, get at the very heart of what God's word is saying in Amos chapter 3 and chapter 4. And those two verses are going to be Amos chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. And so that's really where we're going to spend our time. We might be looking at a few other places throughout this section and throughout scripture, but let me just read those two verses and then we'll dive into our message this morning. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for this word this morning, Lord. This word, we believe it to be eternal and true, Lord. And we pray that you would take these words, that you would write them on our hearts, Lord, that we may be conformed into the image and the likeness of your Son. Lord, we believe this word to be alive, to be active, Father. And um, I pray that you would speak now through this word to your people, Lord, that you would give us a word that we need to hear. Show us how to apply it, how to obey it, Lord, and how to cherish it as a treasure that it is. Lord, we love you and we ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, perhaps you've noticed, if you've been paying attention to the blockbuster, there's a new movie out. New movie out, Spider-Man, a new version of Spider-Man. I don't really get into superhero movies, but... I guess there's a new one, right? So it seems appropriate that I would start off this morning's message with a quote from Spider-Man. This is not just any quote, okay? This is like the quote which defines the entire comic book series, okay? It's a, it's a quote that I think initially in the comic books it was just written as kind of a, a note by the author. But in the movie, in the very first movie, the one with Tobey Maguire, the one that just makes you a little irritated when you watch it, at least if you're me, it's the way... I think when I watched that movie, a little irritated by Peter Parker. Um, it's a quote that Uncle Ben says to him right when he's kind of figuring out, right when he's transforming and kind of becoming this, this Spider-Man superhero that he is, right? And he's in the car. Maybe you're familiar with this, this scene. He's in the car with Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben can sense that something is going on. He's going through changes as he's becoming a young man. Little does he know he's becoming, trying to figure out what it means to not just be a man, but to be a man with superpowers. And Uncle Ben, as he's getting out of the car, says to him, with great privilege comes great responsibility. Uncle Ben is seizing this moment to teach a valuable and a timely lesson as Peter Parker figures out really who he is. And it becomes a thematic quote that really describes this unique position that Peter Parker has found himself in as a young man with a tremendous amount of power, really a unique privilege. With great privilege comes great responsibility. Perhaps if you're a parent, I am sure as you've handed over the keys, maybe to your 
adolescent, teenage son or daughter, began to allow them to drive. It's a quote that probably you've said as well. It's probably a reality that most of us in some way, shape or form, I would hope, understand and have utilized in our life. With great privilege comes great responsibility. Different people in this room this morning reflect, the truth is, a variety of different privileges and different blessings. What we do with those privileges tells us a tremendous amount about who we are as a people. We have options, right? If we are a privileged people, if you have privileges, you have options in life on how you utilize those Privileges And depending on how you play out those options, the choices that you make, those privileges can be abused. They can even be taken from you. As we look at what God is saying through the prophet of Amos to his people, we learn a really important lesson. And this is this. this is we'll see this morning. God's people are a privileged people. And there is a point to that privilege and you don't want to miss it you don't want to miss the point there is a glorious purpose behind the privileges that we have in Christ the truth is now you may disagree depending on where you are in life but if you are in this room this morning you are a, now you may be thinking with me preaching, you may be thinking the opposite, but I guarantee you with this book open this morning, you are a privileged people. We are privileged people and there is a point to the privileges that we have in Christ. And so what we'll see this morning, first off, what I want to show you in these two verses, the first thing I want to show you is that the people of Israel were a people of many privileges. They were a people of many privileges. The story of the Bible is the story of ultimately God making a people for himself. You know how it begins in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning in Genesis. God, the kind of the culmination, the pinnacle of his creation was Adam and Eve, man himself, placed in the garden, made in his image. You know how the story goes, right? They're in communion with God. Their relationship with the creator of the universe is exactly how it was designed to be. They have true, genuine fellowship with God. They are enjoying his presence. Then the fall with sin enters into creation. Adam and Eve fall away. Distance comes between God and man. And the whole rest of the story of the Bible is a story of God pursuing, winning, and wooing a people back to himself. The nation of Israel was unlike any other nation in the world. They were not the largest nation. They were not the mightiest nation. In fact, there are times throughout the biblical story where the nation of Israel looks at the nations around them and they want to be like those nations, right? But they were a unique people. They were unlike the others around them. They were a holy people designed to experience the covenant relationship of God. They were unlike any other nation. They were a nation quite honestly, who enjoyed one blessing after another, one privilege on top of the next. In the first couple of verses of chapter 3, I want to show you three ways that we can see here in the text that the nation of Israel is uniquely privileged, uniquely 
blessed. The first way is that God gave them his word. They are a privileged people because of their possession of God's word. Hear this word. Verse 1. God had historically and kindly blessed his people with his word. We know in Psalm 78 that he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. God's people were entrusted with the preservation of God's word. And here in Amos, God's word comes to his people Again, in fact, as we consider what God is doing through prophecy, you may hear some of the words that we reread in Amos or throughout the prophetic books, and you may think, wow, that is a difficult word. That's a word of wrath, a word of judgment. That's a hard word to hear. But I guarantee you, the very fact that God is speaking is a sign that he has graced and he has privileged his people to hear his voice because he's calling them ultimately back to himself, right? When God speaks, it is a blessing. The God of the Bible is not a God of human conjecture or a creation of human imagination. But he is a God who speaks. He uses language to reveal his character and his way to you and to me. In the opening verses of Genesis, he begins his self-revelation and he never stops all the way through revelation. Word after word, he makes himself known. He makes his way clear. He, his word has been given to his people to guide them and to govern them. So they know what path they are supposed to be on and while they're on that path, how they're supposed to operate and to live and to conduct themselves. If you want to know something about God, you will have to get to know God's word. It's the way he designed it. And folks, we are a privileged people because we possess it, because we have it. We can see exactly what he wants from us. We can learn as he speaks exactly who he is. The greatest blessing of possessing his written word for us today, ultimately, is that through it, it reveals the living word, Jesus himself. As we open this book, as we read God's word, it points us to the living word, the way, the truth, and the life, the good shepherd, the living water, the great physician, God, the Lord and Savior himself. In Hebrews, we, we hear that the book opens up by saying, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. His word that he has given to us reveals who we are. We are created in his image and in need of his grace and mercy. It's why we make such a big deal about his word here at East Campus. Quite honestly, it's the reason why I don't put the words on the screen. I know some of you ask, say, hey, why don't you put the words up there? Because I would prefer for your nose to be in the book that's on your lap. That's why, okay? Because I want you to come to church with the word that he has blessed us with, okay? It's important. He has given us. He has blessed us. He's called us a privileged people. He's given us that book, and we need to know it. 
We need to know it. That's why it's a central aspect of everything that we do on Sunday mornings. Everything that we do when we gather in community group revolves around what he has told us in his word. We're a privileged people because we possess it. It's the first reason the nation of Israel is privileged. It's why we're privileged as well. The second is because we see that he has delivered the nation of Israel from bondage. Against the whole family, he's speaking a word now. He's speaking it against a people whom he brought up out of the land of Egypt. Israel was a blessed people, yet they also knew their fair share of suffering. They were oppressed. They were treated unjustly. They were held down by the very hand of Pharaoh. Yet, as strong as Pharaoh's hand was, God's hand was stronger. He delivered his people after 400 years of oppression, 400 years of slavery. God did not forget them. He knew their pain. He heard their cry and he acted upon it. He showed them favor. He showed them grace. Folks, we are a privileged, we are, if, if you think about Israel being privileged because they were delivered by the hand of Pharaoh, by God from the hand of Pharaoh, how much more are we privileged as God's people in Christ? We are privileged as the people of God, not just because what he has given to us, but also because of what he has done for us. Those who have trusted in the person and in the work of Jesus for salvation, God has made as a people, right? In Colossians, Paul tells us that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, right? That's what he has done for us. We are a people who knew darkness, who knew sin, and had to experience the consequences of it. But Jesus, in his grace, in his mercy, paid the price that we might be delivered from darkness into a kingdom priest of priests, right? A light that is to be shown for the world to see. We are a people who have been delivered from the very bondage of sin, and now we are marked by his grace, by his mercy, and by his love. We're privileged because we have his word and because he's delivered us from darkness. Third reason why we can see here that Israel was privileged is because through Israel he had established them as a covenant people. O people of Israel, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. If you were to go back into Genesis, Genesis 12, the word of God came to Abraham calling him to leave his home. That which was familiar to him. A life that was comfortable, a degree of safety and certainty he could anticipate. God called him to leave it behind and to go where God had directed so that God would make him into a mighty nation, into a people. A people through whom all the people of the earth would be blessed. God promised he would make them a great nation with a transcendent purpose. And he did. He did exactly that. Hundreds of years later, here we are. A people in a land, a common heritage, a legacy that has been preserved from one generation to the next. And it's really a remarkable blessing. It is a privilege of all the nations of the earth. God chose, elected the nation of Israel to be his unique people. He had established a covenant with them and with them alone. 
They were a privileged people because of their unique relationship, their unique status with God. And certainly today, we can know a little bit of something about this privilege as well. How much more are we privileged because of who Jesus is and what he has done? Again, going back to Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He's transferred us from a domain of darkness into a kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. See, we, we step into this unique relationship that God had with Israel and we become God's chosen elect people of God because of who Jesus is and because of what he has done. Folks, and this idea of who we are as his people, it determines how we operate and how we act as a people. The truth is, if you are here, like I said before, right now you are a privileged person. The, the real question, the question that quite honestly matters the most is what do you do with that privileged status? Now, I'm using the word privileged intentionally. Maybe you picked up on it. Because, not because, not because um, I am trying to inject the biblical story into a national conversation. No, that's not why. I, I'm using the word because it is a timeless and true reality that we are given in God's word that we must come to understand. We don't want to let a national conversation co-opt our biblical language. And it's something that we have to be very, very careful of, okay? I have no problem standing up here and saying that I am a privileged person. You are a privileged person as well. And the, for the very reason that we have God's word open to us this morning and that we can gather around it, we can read it, we can apply it, we can learn from it, we can grow in it. Folks, we're privileged. I would hate for us, I would hate for us because there is a national dialogue going on for us to spend most of our time thinking about am I privileged, am I not privileged, and rather spend more of our time thinking about the fact that I have an obligation to do something with what God has blessed me with. Okay? Every single one of us. Every single one of us. Okay? And the, the reality is that God has given us privileges. He has given us all blessings and he expects us to do something with them. This is a radically important, radically important concept. Okay? And, and the problem is that the nation of Israel missed it. They missed it. So they were a people of tremendous privileges, wonderful blessings, but they were also a people with many, many problems. They were people with many problems. Perhaps many of you saw the film 127 Hours. I don't know if you saw this film. It came out maybe 10 years ago now, but it was a film that really, a uh, biographical film, I think it was uh, it, was, it was pretty popular at the time. Uh, James Franco starred in it, but it, it, it kind of told the story of a real-life hiker named Aaron Ralston. Aaron Ralston went down into the Blue John Canyon and went hiking one day, and he, he became trapped under a boulder. Since Ralston did not tell anyone that he was going hiking, no one knew where to look for him. They knew he was missing, but they did not know where to go to find him. And he ended up being spending some 127 hours trapped in the canyon. Oh, and having also to amputate his arm in order to get free. Now, shortly after the film came out, what happened was that area, Blue John Canyon, saw an influx of hikers 
right? The 10 years prior to the film, they had rescued one hiker who went down there. 10 years after, it was more like 25 to 30 hikers that had to be rescued because people saw the film and they wanted to go hike in the exact same place. One such hiker was a 60-year-old who slipped down the canyon, fell, he dislocated his shoulder and he broke his leg and he would spend some 96 hours before eventually getting out of the canyon again because he did not tell anybody that he went there. So this hiker, for example, very clearly missed the point. The, the, the moral of the movie, the, the moral of the story was pretty clear. If you're going to go hiking somewhere dangerous, Lord have mercy, tell somebody, okay? Let somebody know what you're about to do, okay? So when you go missing, they know where to find you, right? Well, this hiker, frankly, missed the point. Folks, there is an appropriate response to God's grace and his favor at work in us and on us. God has a plan, folks, and his privileges that he's blessed us with, they have a point. His word has come through the prophet of Amos, quite honestly, because they missed the point. So what is the point of God's privileges? Why, ultimately, as you consider, now I just listed off three things that we see in the text, three things that, three different ways that God had uniquely blessed the nation of Israel, and it's, it's pretty clear, right? He's spoken to them what he's done for them and who he's established them to be. He's blessed them. And like I said before, many of us, not just do we share those blessings in common, but there's all kinds of blessings and privileges that uniquely each one of us can understand and can relate to. Why has he given them to you? Why has he blessed you the way that he has blessed you? Well, going back to that story, Genesis 12 with Abraham, we, we learn a little something about why he has done it. And I will make you, he tells Abraham, a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. What a blessing. What a privilege. Of all the people, of all the servants in the world, he chose Abraham. And he's going to do something mighty, something powerful through this servant. Right? If he would, in, in faithfulness to God, obey and listen to him, he was going to blow him up on the map. Right? Powerful story. So that, here's why, so that you will be a blessing. Right? So he has blessed Abraham for the very purpose that Abraham would turn around and be a blessing to the nations. That's what the intent of his privileged nation of Israel was. That's why he blessed them. However, what we see in Amos is that rather than embracing this point and being a blessing... ...these people wrestled with two pretty significant sins. The first, this is one... ...that we'll see throughout the book... ...and it's the sin of social injustice. I'll just point to it real quick... ...and you can see it in a variety of different places... ...but just in the chapters 3 and 4... ...we see it um, specifically in verses, verse 1 of chapter 4. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan... ...who are on the mountain of Samaria... ...who oppress the poor... ...who crush the needy... ...who say to your husbands... ...bring that we may drink... Now, just in reading that verse, I thought to myself, it's probably not going to go over very well to call all the women of our congregation cows, right? <laughs> not a good move if you're trying to increase attendance at your church, right? Um, it's the word of the Lord. And this is, let me, let me, let me, 
<laughs> let me explain it. Let me explain it. Okay, let me explain it. It is the word of the Lord, okay? But we have to put ourselves in the kind of contextual understanding of what's going on here, okay? Let me just give you a few, a few contextual clues as to what, what's happening. Amos comes out slinging some serious name-calling. You cows of Bashan. It doesn't convey near the meaning it would if we were to say that today. This region of Bashan in Amos' day would have served as the breadbasket of Israel. Remember that Amos is a Judaite divided kingdom. This is a divided kingdom time. Amos is coming from the south, from Judah, into Israel to proclaiming this prophecy, to speaking this word of God. And so this specific region was the breadbasket. It its primary crop would have been wheat. And uh, it would have been full of lush, high-yield pastures for livestock. Given the agrarian nature of Israel, this expression referred to the luxury, really, or the privileged abundance that they knew at the time. This was not necessarily a negative comment about their size or their weight as much as it was with how they became who they were. These were people who would have had many resources, right? They would have had much, yet their focus was on self-indulgence. Their focus was on filling themselves up. They had given themselves over to their this self-indulgence that no need of theirs had gone unmet, even so that they would do it at the sake of suffering and oppressing those so that they could just have more for themselves. Israel was experiencing a time of peace and prosperity, really unlike anything that the kingdom had seen since David and Solomon were kings. Yet rather than using their blessings, their privileges that God had given them um, from the Lord to be a blessing to those around them, they were taking advantage of their fellow man to pad their pockets and really improve their position. The, the entire book is filled with Amos's impassioned pleas for the socially disadvantaged and his denouncement of the affluent oppressors. You can see Amos 2, 6 and 7, Amos 5, 7, Amos 5, 11 and 12, Amos 6, 1, Amos 8 and 4, just a few places where we see it exposed. And today the reality is for us as we think about, okay, how do we apply what he is saying to them? He's, he's charging them because what they have not done is taking the blessings, the privileges that God has given to them and used it to be a blessing to those around them. Rather, they're just hoarding these blessings, right? And they have no concern for their fellow man, right? They're oppressing, they're crushing the needy. And I just think for us, I mean, the truth is, how blessed are we as a people, I mean, we really are so, so blessed. And he has blessed us for a variety, right, in a variety of different ways, really for one purpose, to be a blessing to those around us and to put his glory and his goodness on display for the world to see, right? And they miss the point. They miss the point. The second sin that we see is, and, and really quite honestly, next week we'll spend more time talking about this, this concept of social justice, social injustice, how it plays out in the book of Amos and, and thinking through, okay, what does it mean for us today? Because that's a tricky one. That's a tricky one. And again, there's a conversation that's happening sort of at a national cultural level. And the tendency can be to just insert us into that conversation, adopt all of their talking points. And quite honestly, that's not how it works, right? Because... These are our talking points. And much of the conversation that happens omits this book from the conversation. So next week we're going to dive in. Okay, well, how do we navigate that? Because it is for us really important. It's really important. The second sin that we see that they struggle with, we see this in Amos 4, 5. Come to Bethel and transgress. 
to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim freewill offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. So in Amos 4, chapter 4, verse verses 4 and 5, we see that the second thing that they're struggling with is not just social injustice, not just are they not being kind and loving to their neighbors, but they're also religious hypocrites, okay? On the surface, things seem to be going right, right? They're enjoying some prosperity. This is kind of a golden age, so to speak, for the kingdom. But God sent Amos to Israel to expose real life, what it really looked like in the kingdom. God saw past the facade of prosperity to the dry rot of social and moral decay. Come to Bethel and transgress. Amos mockingly calls the people to their worship so they can rebel against God. There's no shortage of religious activity in Israel, right? They are participating in all the right activities that you would expect good church folk to participate in. Offering sacrifices every morning. Now, the law required sacrifices for the atonement of their sin, but only one time or maybe three times a year. Yet they're doing it every single day. Likewise, they were required to bring tithes and offerings every three years. And, and they're dialing it up a notch. They're bringing theirs every three days, right? They're going above and beyond what the law requires. More active, quite honestly, than they need to be. Why? Ultimately, so they could boast in their righteousness. So they could take pride in their worship. While they may be successful in deceiving each other on how religious they are, God sees through their religious veneer. He sees the heart underneath their ceremonies and their public displays of worship. They are hypocritical. They are boastful, and they only serve to deepen their transgressions and intensify God's wrath. God has blessed his people with blessing after blessing so that they would fall deeper in love with who he is and be a blessing to the world. This is exactly what Jesus talks about when he gets to the heart of the law. What was the intent of the law? And if you remember, he sums it up with two commandments. Right? The, all of the law could be summed up with the idea of it's all designed to help us love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. This is the great and first commandment, he says, and the second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And folks, God's people during this time had missed the point. Vertically, their hearts, the relationship with God, their hearts were far from God. And it was reflected in the way they horizontally dealt with their neighbor on a social level. They had no love for each other, no concern for the needy, no care for the poor. No, they didn't even worry about those who were hurt or broken or needy. Their concern, quite frankly, was first and foremost themselves, which is the only alternative, right? If you have no love for God and if you have no preoccupation with your neighbor, then what's left? You. And that's exactly what he exposes throughout, the, throughout chapter 4. Is that these were in self, a self-indulgent, a self-oriented people. And God would no longer tolerate their religious rituals, their fabulous feasts, their many sacrifices, as long as they were guilty of sinning against their fellow man. So it brings us to third and final point. Not just were these a people of many privileges, they were also a people of many problems, and as a result, they would be a people ultimately 
who would be punished. They would be punished. See it in chapter 3, verse 2. Therefore, I will punish. Therefore, I will punish all for all of your iniquities. In verse uh, 2 of chapter 8, he says, The end has come. The jig is up. Those are my words, not his, right? <laughs> they went from going to be a privileged people to a problemed people. So ultimately, it's going to result in them being a punished people. It shows us, quite frankly, and as the book talks about God's judgment and his wrath, and quite honestly, for many of us, it's words that we might be uncomfortable with, but I would encourage you, some of that uncomfortableness is okay, right? But what we don't want to do is dismiss it and say there's no room for it, because if we do that, we will just become just like them, right? Jesus, ultimately, when he talks about, when he comes back, he, he positions himself as a judge. And ultimately, what he judges is our worship. And that seems like a weird thing to do, but it's exactly what he's doing throughout the book of Amos, is he's judging their worship. And when you think about, okay, you know, when I think about God judging how I approach him, judging my worship, I think of it in terms of kind of like a continuum, right? In the world of education, you have these things called assessments, right? And you think about how you assess a kid maybe at a reading level and you see them kind of on this chart and you, you can kind of plot them at a certain point and it's used for the purpose of kind of monitoring their progress and moving them along a path, right? That assessment is a useful tool to help them grow, to see where they're at and help them grow. And when I think of God judging a worship, I'm tempted to think of his judgment like that right maybe a continuum well maybe I'm like here on the spectrum this is really bad this is really good I'm like right here that ain't how God talks about it all right the way God talks about judgment is there's two options right ultimately in Matthew 25 we see when Jesus talks about it, he he's going to come back and there's going to be the the sheep and there's going to be the goats right there are Two options. Either you loved him, the way you can express that is by how you care and love one another, or you are distant and you are far from him. Those are the two options, right? His judgment comes and it puts you on one side of that equation or the other. There is no continuum. Right? And his word is spoken. What I love about God's word is if you go throughout chapter 4, he goes time and time again, all these things that he has done for the purpose of allowing God's people to return to him. Right? And that's the point of his word, even being spoken this morning, is it's an opportunity. As you consider, where is your heart before the Lord? Where do you fall on that scale? Are you sheep or goats? Right? It's an opportunity for you to return to the Lord. To return to the Lord. And if not, the Bible is very clear that there is punishment. It's a real thing. Again, that's one that we'll get into more as we go along. So just to wrap things up, I want to just give a couple of applications, practical things. Two things I want to charge you with this morning. The first thing is I want to challenge you to recognize your privileges, your blessings in the Lord. I want to be sensitive here because there are some of you who are dealing with things like sickness, suffering, variety of different levels, loneliness, relational strife, serious difficulties, and I don't want to minimize those things. But I want to encourage you this morning because one, God knows them. He knows what you're walking through. He hears your cry and he cares. But secondly, because you are not defined by those difficulties you are not defined by your sufferings that you are presently walking through. Those things don't have to define who you are. 
right? Even in the midst of those things, we still in the Lord have blessing and have privileges because of who God is and what he's done for us, right? And we can look to those things and be encouraged because of them, right? Your activity flows from your identity. This is who we are. This is, so recognize your privileges. If we don't step back and honestly think through, okay, how has the Lord uniquely blessed me? It may be things with just like career. It may be things like education. It may be things like finances. It may be things like how he has hardwired you with exceptional um, charismatic and social skills, right? The way he has uniquely gifted you and blessed you. Do you recognize those? I would challenge you to do that. Step back and assess, how has God blessed you? And the second thing I want to do is, is challenge you to use those blessings the way that God has uniquely blessed you. And there's many things that we have in common, like we talked about it before, and there's many things that are unique. How can you use those things for the glory of God and for the good of your neighbor, right? And again, there's lots of talk about what it means to be privileged. But folks, every single one of us on different levels are blessed and are privileged. And he hasn't given those things to us just that we can hold on to them and cherish them. Yes, be thankful for them, but he wants us to use them. Use them. As we think about what we're trying to see God accomplish here in our own city, in our own community. I mean, quite honestly, this is our game plan, right? To take the ways that God has blessed us and to use those to be a blessing in our community. I mean, if we were to just pack up shop and move over, let's say, to North Liberty or Tiffin or something like that, we would want there to be a, a, a longing for us to return because of what we are doing here in this community. We, we want our neighbors to look at us and say, thank God that Parkview East is here. Thank God for ministries like The Spot or like Faith Academy, right? Thank God that, there are, that the church is active in our neighborhood. Thank God. And if we were to disappear, we would want this neighborhood to be longing for us to return. Why? Because ultimately our goal isn't about increasing our attendance at Parkview East. Like we're not specifically trying to get folks to grow and to, to like sign up for Parkview. As great as that would be, I would love it. Don't get me wrong. Right? But our ultimate goal is to get folks to call Jesus Christ their Lord and their Savior. Right? And we want them to see how he has been good to us. Right? And not ashamed to speak of him. You think about just even specifically this word. Like he's blessed us all with this word. So just this, this week, I want you to think of one way that you can take this word and, and integrate it into your conversation with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Right? People come all, all the time looking for help. If you're a family member, if you have friends, always looking for help. Right? Conversations. And I want you to think of as many wonderful words of, of just wisdom that we could speak. None of them are better than this. Right? And God has blessed us with this book. Right? I want you to think of just one opportunity this week where you can take God's word and inject it into a conversation with somebody to be an encouragement to somebody or to be a testimony to somebody who may not even know who God is. Right? This morning, folks, simple idea. He's blessed us. He has blessed us. Leave you just with a question. What are you doing with that blessing? What are you doing? Let's pray. Father God, just as we consider your word this morning, Lord, we thank you for um, just how you used Amos to speak a really difficult word um, to a people who did not want to hear it. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would use this word, that, that you would continue to speak it to your people. Lord, that you would use it 
to conform us into your image and to do the job that you have said it's going to accomplish. Lord, I pray that we can trust. Lord, we've seen that you are God who does what he says, Lord, and so we take faith. We are encouraged in that, Lord. I pray that you would show each of us just personally, individually, Lord, how you have uniquely blessed us. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be people who, who use that blessing to bless those around us. Bring people into our life just even this week that we can bless, Lord, that we can share the good news, the hope of the gospel with, Father. Um, and I pray that you would use this church really as a beacon of light in this community and in this neighborhood, Lord, that you would put your glory and your riches on display for the world to see through these people. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.